All right, welcome back to Hellspan. This is part two of a three-part series of the Mind-Gut Connection by Dr. Emeryn Mayer. In this episode, I will be discussing how stress effects can be transmitted from one generation to the next, stress in the womb, microbes for a healthy start, our microbiota and emotions, microbes and social behaviors, as well as early development. So let's go ahead and jump right in to understand how stress effects can actually be transmitted from one generation to the next. So one of the speakers at this Sedona conference was Rachel Yehuda. She is a neuroscientist from New York, and she, she had, was talking about this groundbreaking findings that adult offspring of Holocaust survivors who had grown up without the experience of the trauma themselves actually had a greater risk of developing psychiatric disorders like depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And we were seeing similar findings in World War II veteran offspring as well as 9-11 offsprings. In a rat study by Dr. Meany, he showed that when the daughters of stressed, neglectful rat moms became mothers themselves, they behaved no, diff- no better towards their own pups. So his study found that effects could actually last for several generations, suggesting that the stress experienced by the mother and the ensuing effects on her behavior towards her pups could actually be passed down to the offspring. And the reason this is going on is due to epigenetics. So epigenetics is how our behaviors and our environment affects our DNA. And we're seeing that some of these epigenetic changes were causing uh, alterings in the brain signals, which made the adults, adult daughters poor mothers themselves, and this caused their own pups to tag their own epigenetics and kind of this vicious cycle uh, really continued uh, from one generation to the next. Now we've made tremendous progress in understanding the relationship between early adversity, changes in the crosstalk between the gut and the brain, and the role that the gut microbiome has in these interactions. And it's becoming clear that early life stress not only affects the brain and the gut, but also has a profound effect on the gut microbiome as well. So studies have shown that when adult or uh, when adolescent rhesus monkeys leave their mother for the first time, they actually develop patterns of separation anxiety and they also develop diarrhea. And it's actually very similar to what happens when teenagers kind of go off to college and leave home for the first time. They, they sort of develop these GI issues and, and uh, anxiety. And these stress-induced changes in the gut function have dramatic effects on on living, living conditions for our gut microbes. So in response to these stressful conditions, we actually can quantitatively see a decrease in the amount of lactobacilli and an increase in these bad pathogens like E. coli and Shigella. And the stress hormone norepinephrine also makes these bad pathogens more aggressive and more persistent. So again, we're seeing this decrease in lactobacilli, which is very good for us, an increase in these uh, bad pathogens, E. coli and Shigella. And in a recent study by Premisil Bursich's group at McMaster University in Ontario, the investigators confirmed our early findings in the same animal model that poor mothering was responsible for the increased responsiveness of the gut to stress uh, consistent with alterations in the brain stress circuits. So stress in the womb. So monkey experiments show that maternal stress alters our gut microbiota. So we've established that. Neurobiologist Chris Koh 
of the University of Wisconsin exposed pregnant rhesus monkeys to alarming noises on and off for 10 minutes every weekday for six weeks. This stressed the monkey and kind of very similar to how we get stressed with traffic and noise and 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 stressful situations like working um, right before pregnancy. So Crisco exposed the monkeys to this kind of environment and we actually saw a decrease in the amount of good bacteria, lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. And when the monkeys who were the control and weren't and weren't really exposed to this noise and alarming sounds, uh, those monkeys had been left in peace, they actually had higher amounts of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. So the mechanism that Dr. Mayer kind of uh, puts into place is that we actually have a decrease in the it, the stress actually decreases the amount of vaginal microbiota of the lactobacilli. So lactobacilli is really important. If you look it up on Google, you can see things like it can decrease our cholesterol, promote weight loss, um, improve IBS symptoms, uh, prevent certain vaginal infections. So when these monkeys were stressed out, the number of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria actually decreased. Um, we were also seeing um, from a mouse study that it actually decreased the amount of mitochondria and amino acids. So they found changes in molecules that supply the animals with energy. Of course, it's the mitochondria, which the infant's brain consumes uh, when it's developing, and also showed a decrease in the amount of amino acids, which helped the fast-developing uh, brain grow and form new connections between certain brain regions. So a decrease in mitochondria and a decrease in the amino acid availability in these mouse studies, and it's probably very similar to stressed out babies who have decreased amount of energy and decreased amount of amino acids. So what are the implications of these lab studies for women experiencing um, stress during pregnancy and, and motherhood? So many adult brain disorders, including anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, autism, and most likely IBS, are now really considered neurodevelopmental disorders, meaning that the basic brain changes start very early in life, many of them already in utero. And just to quickly summarize, as we've learned, stress is a major factor that influences these neurodevelopmental changes. And there, again, there's at least two pathways by which early adversity can really affect the brain gut axis. One is via the epigenetic modification, and two is via this stress-induced changes in the gut microbiota and their products. In other words, a decrease in the amount of good bacteria like bifidobacteria and lactobacilli. So microbes for a healthy start. He kind of tells a story about a woman. So Dr. Mayer went to um, hang out with this Yanomami people who live in the upper Orinoco River in the deep rainforest of Brazil and Venezuela. And he was telling the story of this woman he saw in the rainforest and she was actually giving a live birth you know standing up and her baby just hit the floor and he kind of discusses like c-section versus vaginal and how how western births are so sterile you know it, we're in the hospital and and we're all gowned up and then he kind of compares it to the yanomami people and how these people they just they find a corner and then they they squat and they have a baby and C-sections, again, 
C-sections versus vaginal, why vaginal delivery is way better because you expose your baby to this gut flora, uh, this, this uh, vaginal flora that has actually been shown to decrease the amount of autoimmune diseases, uh, allergies, and others. Your baby is just way healthier if they go via, via vaginal delivery compared to C-section because you're exposing the baby to this vaginal flora. That's really good for them. So he kind of tells a story about this woman he saw when he was just like hanging out in, in Brazil. And um, he, this child was born really naturally with no help or medical intervention. And that's actually very good for the baby. So it, again, if you, have a, if you have the choice, go for vaginal birth and let your baby kind of play in soil and expose themselves to different microbes. So I just wanted to share that quick story, and uh, I will be, ho- be moving forward to this section that he, he titles, Our Gut Microbiota, Our Own Xanax Factory. So there was a group of pioneer investigators in Canada who reported some intriguing findings from animal experiments that really suggested that gut microbes themselves produce neurotransmitters that could change emotional behavior. So that group I talked about earlier, uh, the Premisil Bursich and his group at McMaster had treated a group of normal mice for a week with a cocktail consisting of three broad-spectrum antibiotics. So they monitored the mice's gut microbiota composition and their before, during, and after the antibiotic treatment. And his group was surprised to see that the antibiotic-treated mice engaged in more kind of exploratory behavior like spending more time in the well-lit open areas of their cages or experimental setup rather than the dark and protected locations they usually prefer. And since mice can't really tell us about their anxiety, obviously, uh, their behavior is used as a proxy that indicates that animals are less anxious or as scientists say, um, as scientists say, or, or, or kind of this like more anxiety-like behaviors. So they use it as a proxy. And two weeks after the mice had completed the antibiotic course, both of their behaviors and their gut microbiota returned back to their normal state. And this kind of suggested that the observed changes in the animal's emotional behavior and the antibiotic-induced changes in their gut microbiota were actually related. So again, what is the mechanism? How exactly are the changes in the microbiota and behavior linked? Well, it's most likely mediated, again, by the vagus nerve, which I talked about extensively in part one, if you haven't listened to it yet. So mice in which the vagus nerve was cut no longer really showed the reduction in anxiety when their microbes were suppressed by the antibiotic. So these findings suggested that in normal mice, gut microbes produced a steady supply of substances that were able to kind of suppress anxiety and their, effects, uh, and their effect was transmitted to the brain via the vagus nerve. So what is this steady supply of substances I'm talking about? I am talking about GABA, uh, gamma amino butyric acid. It's a neurotransmitter in our brain. It's the same way that many of our drugs work, our anti-anxiety drugs like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin. The same mechanism is via mimicking the effect of GABA. And we're actually seeing that. So uh, a few minutes ago, I mentioned the benefits of lactobacilli, right? A decrease in cholesterol can kind of promote weight loss, decrease IBS symptoms, uh, prevent against vaginal infections. 
But one of the other things that lactobacilli, as well as bifidobacteria, can actually do is produce GABA. So they have this synthetic machinery to produce GABA. So the question is, could a regimen as simple as eating fermented foods and taking probiotics actually help anxiety-prone individuals to reduce their anxiety levels? And the answer is yes. So in 2013, there was a study done with 36 women who were separated into three different experimental groups. Twice a day for four weeks, the active... um, So twice a day for four weeks, the active treatment group at ate yogurt enriched with a particular strain of bifidobacteria. And then a second group ate a non-fermented milk product that had no probiotics, but was indistinguishable from the one with the bifidobacteria. And the third group had no yogurt or milk at all. So that's the control group. And then this experimenter scanned each of the women's brains as they laid in this MRI, MRI scanner and performed a task designed to test her test their ability to assess other people's emotions from facial expressions. So that's the that's the study. Three, 36 group 36 women, three different groups. And the task consisted of watching the faces of three different people who looked angry, scared or sad and quick and quickly identify which two of, of the three faces displayed the same emotion by pushing a button. So that that was the task these women had a, had a face. Now, what did the results show? So compared with women who ate the milk product with no probiotics, women who received the probiotic mix for four weeks showed actually less connectivity between a number of uh, brain regions during the emotion recognition task. So these results um, showed for the first time that some of the astonishing results from mouse studies actually applied to humans as well, specifically that manipulating the gut microbiota could measurably change human brain function during a task related to emotions, at least at a very basic emotional reflect level. So we're seeing the intake of the bifidobacteria can actually influence emotion. And for Dr. Mayer's research team, this really opened up a completely new way of looking at how brain functions in health and disease and how to really keep our minds healthy. So the role of microbiota in depression. So there are about three well-controlled studies performed in patients with a psychiatric diagnosis of major depressive disorder that clearly implicate a role of altered gut microbes in the symptoms of depression. So in part one, I went very extensively into serotonin and the effects of serotonin and, and depression. And now I will be discussing this, these different kind of studies. So so French investigators gave 55 healthy men and women a month-long, a month-long regimen of a daily probiotic that contained, again, lactobacilli and bifidobacteria, these GABA-producing uh, bacteria. And those in the probiotic group showed actually a small improvement in psychological distress and anxiety compared to those taking the control product. In another study, British, British researchers gave a different lactobacilli species to 124 healthy people. And in people who were more depressed when the study began, the treatment significantly improved their mood. So again, we're seeing this correlation with the gut and brain with, via serotonin, and we're seeing this correlation between our microbiota and our emotions as well. 
so th- again, th- I found that super interesting. Uh, so we will be moving forward and talk about our gut microbes and how it affects our social behavior. So if our gut microbes can affect our emotions, and emotions and gut feelings kind of drive our decisions on how we behave, it logically follows that gut microbes can actually alter our behavior. And if the gut microbes alter our behavior, then could an abnormal mix of gut microbes lead to abnormal behavior? And if that's true, could replacing abnormal gut microbes with healthy ones improve not just intestinal problems, but behavior itself? So these are the questions that Dr. Mayer is laying out. And that brings me to the story of Jonathan. So Jonathan is this 25-year-old guy, and he was brought in by his mother. And Jonathan has autism spectrum disorder, and he also suffered from GI problems his entire life. So abdominal bloating, pain, and constipation. So Jonathan, 25, ASD, and GI problems. So Dr. Mayer requested a detailed analysis of the microbiota in his stool through the American Gut Project, and a series of studies in recent years had suggested that patients on the autism spectrum may have an altered mix of gut microbes relative to individuals without ASD symptoms, including proportionally more of the bacteria group known as uh, Firmicutes and less called bacteriodetes. And patients with irritable irritable bowel syndrome exhibit a similar pattern. So Jonathan's analysis revealed that he had the same pattern. He had the more of the firmicutes and less of the bacteriodetes. And he also had fewer of the bacteria known as proteobacteria and actinobacteria than the average American. So even though he had this unusual diet and suffered from anxiety and stress and also had IBS symptoms, we didn't have any way of knowing if it was his ASD, his IBS, or his eating habits that were responsible for this kind of altered mix of gut microbes. And among other questions, Jonathan and his mother wanted to know whether Jonathan could consider undergoing a fecal uh, microbial transplant or take probiotics to change his microbiome to help with his psychological and GI symptoms. And the reason they were asking about this was because there was a recent animal study that had spread like wildfire through the autism community, and it kind of ignited a great deal of hope in these experimental therapies. So I'm going to go through what this experiment was and, and what it showed, and, and, uh, and I'm just going to explain the study. So it is one of the best and most influential animal studies done yet by these two researchers, Dr. Maz, uh, Mazmanian and Dr. Siao from Caltech in Pasadena. What they did was they injected pregnant mice with a substance that mimics viral infection and activates their immune system. Now, young mice born of such mothers exhibit a range of kind of altered behaviors that resembled people with ASD, like anxiety-like behavior, the stereotypical uh, repetitive behaviors, and also like uh, compromised social interactions. And for this reason, the so-called maternal immune activation model is really valid for animal model with autism. 
So basically, they injected mice with this viral infection. The mice developed symptoms similar to ASD. Now, the Caltech investigators found that the young mice exhibited changes in their gut microbes and kind of had this imbalanced mix of gut microbes, a leakier intestine, uh, a greater engagement of the gut-based immune system. And the investigators identified a particular gut microbial metabolite that was closely related to a metabolite that had previously been identified in the urine of children with ASD. When they gave this metabolite to healthy mice, born to mothers whose immune system had not been activated, those mice had the same behavioral abnormalities as mice born to mothers whose immune system whose immune system had. So most intriguing was that when they transplanted the stool of the abnormal mice into a germ-free mice that behaved normally, the transplanted animal behaved abnormally. So one more time. They took the kind of like the, the fecal matter of the mice who had this ASD and gave it to a normal mice that behaved normally and the normal mice began to kind of, kind of like uh, act abnormally. So this really strongly suggested that transplanted stool from the affected animals produced a metabolite that could actually reach the brain and alter behavior of a healthy mice. Most important for people with ASD, they could make several, um, though not all of the autism-like behaviors disappear by treating the affected mice with human intestinal bacteria like uh, Bacteriorides uh, fragilis, something that they kind of lacked. So extremely interesting. You can look up the, the full trial yourself, but that's, that's the long synapse of, uh, of what the study was actually doing, the fecal transplant. So Dr. Mayer really explained to the patient that several ongoing studies in, the, in human patients with ASD will be able to answer his question uh, definitively within the next couple of years. Um, but what did doctor, so they didn't end up doing the fecal transplant, but he kind of had a, this targeted treatment plan of both his brain and his gut. So he, along with this dietitian, worked with him to kind of gradually change his diet, um, Jonathan's diet, from being like this restricted diet to like a more well-balanced, which included a lot of like fruits and vegetables, and you know, a kind of a wide range of fermented products, and all these fermented products contained the lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. He also gave him some herbal laxatives to treat his constipation. And last but not least, he taught the patients kind of like self-relaxation exercises like, um, like breathing and stuff and, and cognitive behavioral therapy for his phobias and increased anxiety. Um, and Jonathan is doing a lot better than he was. So um, that was just a cool uh, snippet about fecal transplant and you can definitely read more about that. So we're moving forward and going to the next section, which is early development. This is the last section here. So gut feelings and moral intuitions have an interesting origin related to, of all things, food. Um, so here's his main point. So for example, gut feelings related to hunger comprise your earliest signals about what is good and bad in the world, and they begin at birth. So the gut feeling of an empty stomach may be a newborn's, uh, newborn child's kind of first negative uh, proto-emotion in this kind of triggering an, 
triggers an uncontrollable craving for food. So similarly, the the satiated feeling that follows the consumption of breast milk, which is full of pre and probiotics, is likely the earliest experience of feeling good. Um, So the signals sent from your gut to your brain, the gut sensations play a key part in these early experiences and by extension, your ability to differentiate good from bad. So based on emerging evidence about the development of the gut microbial ecology during the first three years of life, we can make some intriguing speculations. So it's, pl- it's plausible from animal studies that gut microbes influence the emotional state and development of our infants. So how is this possible? What is the mechanism? Some of it has to do with the mother's milk, which I mentioned has those pre those prebiotics and probiotics, and also contain, again, the lactobacilli, which can act similar to these, these uh, Valium, clonopin kind of drugs, these anti-anxiety drugs. So p- by kind of producing their own endogenous Valium via the lactobacilli, we can kind of show how the baby can actually calm down. It can calm down the baby's emotions, um, and make them really feel good by kind of relieving them of any uh, of their hunger. So, so I'm going to end there. Um, super interesting how our development is actually affected by not just uh, our life, but even before we're alive in the womb. We're just in the womb, and our stress levels can actually be affected by the mother, uh, our own mother. So. Super interesting stuff, the fecal transplant and how our gut microbes affect our emotions and social behavior. Uh, really interesting. So in part three, I'll be talking about how to actually optimize brain and gut health, what you can actually start to do today to optimize um, your own brain and gut health. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you learned something and I hope you tune in next time. Thank you for listening.